so good to see everyone uh, this evening. Thank you, worship team, for, for leading us. Uh, I'm Evan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. Really glad to gather here uh, this evening and want to welcome you uh, to our second City Fellowship uh, of the summer. Um, and a little bit about City Fellowships, especially if this is your first time here. We uh, did this, we restarted this uh, last year and have been doing it this year. Uh, that during the year, uh, you know, August to May, we have our small group ministry we call City Groups, and we take a break in the summer. Uh, to give a break for uh, our leaders and that we know that there's a lot of in and out and so we still want to have a time of connecting, a time of, of formation and so uh, we decided to do a f city fellowships which is a once a month kind of gathering uh, where we come together around a little bit of teaching but a lot of fellowship um, and uh, this summer we've aligned the topic of the city fellowships around our sermon series on spiritual practices. Um, and so uh, all the spiritual practices, you can find them on our website for details and whatnot. And we as pastors, we, as we were praying, just really felt the um, opportunity to, to look a little further, a little deeper in some of these spiritual practices so that we can grow as a community. Um, and so the next City Fellowship will be August 2nd, by the way, mark your calendars, hope you will be able to come. Uh, and and this, this, uh, this evening's topic is uh, the spiritual practice of fellowship. Uh, I don't know if you've ever conceptualized fellowship as a spiritual practice, uh, but we actually believe that it is integral uh, to, uh, to worship, to formation, even the transformation. Um, and so let me just kind of forecast a bit where we're going to head in our time together. Uh, it's, it's kind of some guidelines and principles. One, that, uh, that the Bible's posture is a posture that is collective, right? There's, there's a lot of, of we uh, over me. Uh, two, individuals are shaped communally, right? Um, that's this idea that we are part of some kind of collective. We live in a culture that is intense on expressive individualism, uh, where uh, we, we believe that each individual has within themselves the authority and the ability to construct and determine their identity, but also it emerges in culture as, uh, as a mandate to live out, so you live your truth, uh, which is an interesting, ironic, fascinating uh, phenomenon. But uh, we don't come into to, self-knowledge and self-understanding on our own. We come from a family, we come from a country, we come from relationships. It's important to consider uh, how that communal formation uh, is happening. Uh, and then uh, third, that fellowship is, is commanded in Scripture. Uh, much like we're commanded towards prayer, towards Scripture reading, towards Sabbath, we are actually commanded towards fellowship. And I know that might be bad news for the introverts in the room. Uh, and God bless you, you made it here uh, amongst 150 people. Um, but it is a command for, for all of us, uh, that, that community... Uh, is, is commanded, and even as an introvert, uh, what fellowship might mean for you is that on the budget of energy, uh, that fellowship is an expenditure rather than revenue, but it does fit on the budget. Uh, I, I'm an introvert as well. It is a wonderful expenditure, but it is an expenditure nonetheless, so something that I value deeply uh, and also is something that, that spends my energy, uh, and I love it. Right. And so we're going to take some time to talk about that, to think about that, what that means as a church community uh, around this idea of fellowship. Uh, you might have noticed that there are some packets on the table. Uh, so that will be how we'll, we'll use our time together. So if you don't have a copy, grab one from the center of the table. If, you, if we've run out, just raise your hand and we can get some, some copies to you. Uh, but everyone should have a copy. Uh, but City Fellowship is meant to be a, a time of fellowship. So hopefully you got to interact with your neighbors around the table, because uh, if not, you're going to have some opportunity here. And so let me just give a, a quick prompt here for a little bit of discussion. So I want you to turn to a neighbor, not your spouse, at the table and answer this question. When is the last time you made a friend? All right, let me give you a second to think about it. When, when is the last time you made a friend? What did that look like? And we'll come back here in a couple minutes.
All right, let's come back here. Let's come back here. What a great exercise. Yes. Amen. Amen. All right. Yeah. When was the last time you made a friend? For, I imagine for some of you, the answer to the question of when the last time you made a friend was like 10 minutes ago. That's great. Uh, I'm glad. And I imagine for others of you, you're like, well, how do you define a friend? In what context? We're talking about work? We're talk, we talking about acquaintances? What kind of, you know, there's all the stuff that made you think too hard about it. And I'm just glad that you tried, right? Just glad you thought about it. And hopefully it was not shame-inducing. It was like, man, it's been years since I made a friend. You know how many kids I got? And that's okay. That's okay. We're not, we're not inducing shame here. But I wanted to just consider together the notion of, of friendship, because that is an integral piece of fellowship. And in many ways, when we take, talk about fellowship, there is a befriending dynamic that happens there. And for a lot of us, we, we don't give much thought to uh, the, the spiritual rhythm of, of friendship and community. And so I uh, want us to dig more into this here. So look at your packet. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2. So if you were here a couple weeks ago, Pastor Daniel preached from this on the topic of fellowship. And I uh, would commend that sermon to you. We won't do a deep dive here, but uh, I'm just going to read this passage. I'm going to read it slowly, uh, almost Lectio Divina-esque. And if you don't know what that means, that's okay. We'll talk about that at the next City Fellowship. But really want you to just consider uh, immersing yourself in this passage for a moment, and then we'll, we'll do a little bit more discussion here. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right. See, I was just immersing yourself a bit in this passage. Now let your eyes kind of run over Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And as a table... I want you to take a few minutes to answer this next question. How could this passage help you understand fellowship as a spiritual practice? Right, so theorize for a moment. How, how could this passage be helpful in getting an idea of what fellowship is as a spiritual practice? All right. So take, some, take a few moments at the table and, and discuss uh, that question. We'll be back here in just a moment.
get back together here. Uh, so I, man, I, I would love it if we uh, share what, what came at the table, but for the sake of time, I hope it was enriching. But um, you know, just, just imagine this church in Acts chapter 2. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, we see earlier, this is 3,000 people, roughly, uh, that just got saved. Um, and these 3,000 people, they make up about 15 different nations. Um, and just, just imagine you know, this powerful moment, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, they're speaking in tongues. We, we don't actually get any indication that that mighty, rushing, fiery wind continued. Uh, so. It's probable that the apostles didn't continue speaking in other tongues with these 3,000 people, and certainly maybe not with each other. They, they had to learn how to communicate, uh, even without this, this mighty rush. So it's different cultures and backgrounds coming together all of a sudden, that thousands of people were coming for a family trip uh, for the day of Pentecost, and they ended up just staying. And so we're going to need a bed. Uh, we, we don't need a change of underwear. Um, and the folks that were near in residence, they were delighted in accommodating that need. They saw each other's need and they were excited uh, to care for one another. And day by day, it wasn't just the 3,000, it was more folks coming in with their various needs and various thoughts. I imagine there's a lot of excitement uh, and some fear because this person that I usually don't talk to is now all of a sudden talking to me. Uh, there might be some frustration because this person's values and backgrounds are now coming into contact and maybe conflict of mine, with mine. And also, verse, verse 42 says they were devoted. They were devoted. They were devoted to teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. And certainly I'm not trying to recreate Acts chapter 2 in 2023 here in America, but I come back to this passage a lot with an appreciation because there's something of the essence that is, is worth aspiring for, praying for, that is real in the worshiping community. And there is some definition uh, here of fellowship. You know, fellowship is this word koinonia, this idea of mutuality, commitment and participation, this seeing and knowing, being seen and being known. You know, verse 44 says, all who believed were together. They were together. What does it mean? I bet that, that happened for a whole day. <laughs> uh, and then things got, got very hard. Um, it was a lot for the first century church, this idea of fellowship. And they were pushed to, to figure out life together. They were, they were pushed to figure out life together, to figure out the fellowship. Right? Translations get it wrong. We don't put the, the there. It was the fellowship. There was a signaling of a fellowship that was defined descriptive, there was a shared understanding, there was a commitment there. And Dr. Carl Ellis, he, he frames fellowship as this idea of being drawn together as we have a sense of dignity, identity, and significance. That we experience that when we experience it in community. And if we don't experience that with the church, we naturally gravitate towards places elsewhere. And so we're called to fellowship, we're called to embody this togetherness this one anotherness. Uh, but what does that mean? So we'll talk a little bit about that. So first section here, the collective mindset of the Bible. I just want to run through how the Bible talks about this collective idea and identity of, of God's people. Uh, so letter A, we are a body. All right, so there's blanks there. Hopefully I won't miss one. First one is we are a body. You know, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this. Uh, that uh, different members have different functions, but the same care for one another. Uh, a body is collective. Letter B, we are a home or a household. All right. Ephesians 2 addresses this well. We're a household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Letter C, we are a kingdom. Letter C, we are a kingdom. Colossians 1 talks about this. Hebrews 12 talks about this. 
we receive a kingdom that is unshakable. Letter D, we are a flock. We are a flock. First Peter 5 addresses this, other places as well, like Acts 20, 28. You know, shepherd the flock of God. That sheep are, are usually in a flock together. When they are alone, they are vulnerable. And this quote by Eugene Peterson says that one of the immediate changes that the gospel makes is grammatical. We instead of I, our instead of my, us instead of me, right? So fellowship is embracing this grammatical shift. And so as we observe these divine realities of Christ's community, part of spiritual practice is evaluating our spiritual health communally. In other words, we, how we are doing relationally is some indication, not a determiner, but is some indication of how we are doing spiritually. Right? Uh, because there, there is some dis, something dysfunctional when these metaphoric images are isolated, right? If, if sheep are alone, there's something wrong. When, when there's a body part that's alone, there's, there's something wrong, right? In a household, if you're orphaned, there's something wrong. In a kingdom, if you're exiled or a refugee, there's something wrong. There's something uh, about not being a part that indicates that something isn't right. And if this is true for God's people, there's something of the us-ness that, that says something about how we're doing spiritually. Uh, so if you're a Christian and don't have no friends, that's significant. Because how you're doing relationally says something about how you're doing spiritually, just like whether or not you're in Scripture reading the Bible, whether or not you're in prayer. And I want to be careful not to over-apply that. I don't want to say that all of your spirituality is wrapped up in what you're doing relationally. Certainly more than that, but it's not less than that. Um, we have to be careful uh, when we find ourselves isolated. Right? So second section, the gains of fellowship. Right? Uh, what, what do we gain by being part of the fellowship? And we talk about this in new members class, but it's, it's worth repeating or introducing here. So letter A, assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. St. Corinthians 13 talks about examining yourselves. And I, and I really love this. So uh, I imagine a lot of you all, if not all of you, are familiar with this whole notion of deconstruction that is, that is happening a lot. Um, it's, it's not new, but that, that categorization uh, seems to be on the rise. And uh, deconstruction often proceeds from some kind of rupture or disruption in fellowship. Uh, that maybe someone has a lot of doubts and they, those doubts weren't received well or someone has some struggles and those struggles were not received well there was some ridicule and, and people start wondering do i truly belong here right and start questioning and and i believe that the best deconstruction happens in community um, because anecdotally anytime i've encountered someone that's deconstructing and they are alone they are they are spiritually miserable I've never encountered someone that has deconstructed and they're all alone. They say, I feel great with God. I just haven't seen that. Uh, that doesn't take away from the questions. That doesn't take away from the struggles. But there is something about deconstructing in community that has some kind of good scaffolding and support there. And you might think that's very odd, like deconstructing in community. But like, no, actually, this worshiping community, welcome if you are deconstructing. Welcome if you have questions. I'm actually among them. We're, we're all deconstructing on some level. I hope so. I call it sanctification. But there's always something that we should be questioning, and hopefully with the intent of reconstructing with commitment to Christ. Um, and doing that alone often uh, leads to really harmful things. And there's a, there's a book coming out called The Great, uh, great De-Churching. Uh, it's, it's this research-based book on what is, what is happening with this largest religious shift in US history. Some 40 million people have shifted away from Christianity, uh, and it's just talking through what that means, what that looks like, uh, that people, that this rise of the NONES nuns, religiously unaffiliated, uh, what is behind that? Because it's not, it's not as simple as, I just don't like Jesus anymore. Uh, more often than not, there's, there's something to how we have encountered church uh, that has caused a lot of questioning. Uh, am I safe? Is this worth it? All right, letter B, spiritual oversight. Gains of fellowship, spiritual oversight. Uh, Hebrews 13 points to this in other places. Um, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit their authority. That's a fun sermon. Um, uh, 
uh, obey and submit is inherently offensive, is it not? Um, but, it, but it merges with what was said earlier, 1 Peter 5, the shepherding of the flock. Um, that, there, that the Lord does actually bring structure and leadership and oversight as part of the fellowship. Uh, and that's not inherently wrong. Uh, it's worth examining because no one is perfect, but it's not inherently wrong. There's actually a protective nature. That's why there's this language of shepherding the flock of God, because flocks need support, protection, affirmation. Um, but it's not often appraised as, as a benefit. Um, and what I, what I see is that the spiritual oversight piece, that's often where there's a lot of kind of tension. Because, uh, you know, I hear people say, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't need to go to church. I don't, I don't need to be in broader community because I have my roommates. Uh, or, you know, I, I don't need to, to be at church to connect with God. I can go out into the, to the nature and hike and I experience God. I don't need to go to church to connect with God. Or, I heard someone tell me, it's like, I don't, I don't need to, to be in broader fellowship. I, you know, I have my basketball league where I'm coaching. Uh, and, and I understand the sentiment of that uh, because God does meet us in nature. He is the creator. God, God does meet us in our roommates. He's not confined to the four walls of the church. But it's always interesting that when people are reimagining spirituality, that there's not as much spiritual oversight in the reimagining. That there's usually less of it. Uh, there's usually a, a self-directed and self-propelled spirituality. And I don't see that modeled in scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 46, they went to temple together. Now, if there was ever an occasion where people could be like, I'm not doing all of that religious stuff no more. We, we bought relationship around here. We know Jesus. This would have been the moment because they just had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. The apostles, the people that walked with Jesus are like right there face to face. And part of their understanding of fellowship is we are going to continue in this religious structure. And even Jesus, if you look at Luke chapter 4, he, he continued to go to the synagogue. He's, he continued to do the customs uh, because there's something to the structure that is good, even if it needs to be examined. Spiritual oversight uh, is good, even in examining. C, commitment. C, commitment to each other's spiritual growth. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, that there's a connection between stirring one another up and meeting together. Last year, we read a book on the loneliness epidemic. And in that book, Susan Mette, she said that almost a third of Christian households barely have ever practiced uh, fellowship and hospitality. Only 60% have guests to their home once a month, and only 39% have guests who aren't family members. Um, so we're, we're, we're not spending a lot of time in each other's lives. Um, and there's a lot of loneliness in our culture. There's a lot of isolation. And part of stirring one another up to love uh, is, is found as we see each other and know each other. Letter D, collective purpose. Collective purpose. Romans Taylor talks about this in, in offering our gifts. There's a sense of actualizing a coming together that happens in community. We are all created on purpose and we are created for a purpose. And that purpose emerges as we connect with one another. Um, as with Acts 2, the ways that they contributed to one another is that they saw each other's needs. They felt animated to care for one another as they were in fellowship with one another. And then letter E, joining in the mission of God's kingdom. Letter E, joining in the mission of God's kingdom. And the Great Commission is there. And, and fellowship, when it's healthy, helps us uh, to not just be inwardly focused. You know, years ago, Pastor Daniel challenged us in a sermon. It was like, we, we should not be merely a spiritual social club, right? Uh, the fellowship is not a focus on being inward, but fellowship should naturally move us outward towards the community and towards the world. Again, Acts chapter 2, the fellowship led to favor with the people and adding to numbers day by day, right? So there is something about fellowship that is missional, all right? So those are the gains of the fellowship. Let's look at the challenges of uh, fellowship. Number three, section three. Uh, letter A, challenges. Trust. Trust. So you saw this box here up, up to the right. So 67% of the U.S. population claims Christianity. Uh, this is from a Barna study. Uh, but 29% of U.S. Christians attend church weekly. So majority do not attend uh, more, than, uh, uh, more than weekly. This is down from 45% in 2010. 
Um, there was a, another Gallup poll that was taken in 2021 that said that 37% of Americans express confidence in the church as an institution. So majority do not actually have confidence in the church. Uh, there's, there's a significant loss of trust in institutions in general, uh, but in the church in particular. And so it can be challenging to think about being in the fellowship when there's not trust. You do actually have to risk trusting other people uh, to be in fellowship. Letter B. Challenges. Uh, relevance. Letter B is relevance. And I don't mean relevance in the trendy sense of the word. I mean relevance in that is, is, the, is the church worth acknowledging? Um, that I feel like in this cultural moment, and I've said this multiple times, that the apologetic need is shifting away from is Christianity true to is Christianity good? Uh, that, that people are, are asking real big questions like, is, is is this good? Does it actually put good into the world? Um, and so there's no social capital in being a Christian. Uh, it doesn't help you typically to, to get a job. Sometimes it's a liability uh, to getting a job. There's a book called Jesus Skeptic that talks about how it was just assumed that the church was a place of relevance for good in the world, that university charters uh, were, were by Christians, orphanages were created by Christians, hospitals by Christians, St. This and and Baptist that. Uh, it was a force for good in the world, and people have begun questioning that. Is the church relevant? And if it's not relevant, why do I need to be in fellowship with it? Why not just do tennis? Right. Letter C, judgment. Challenge of the fellowship, letter C, judgment. You know, the church is one of the institutions where there's a priority on ethical formation. Uh, that, that the church, at least, should be a place where there is some understanding of right and wrong talked about. Uh, and, and, and that's not a unique idea. Everyone actually has some sense of right and wrong. There's just a lot of concern or consideration on how much that should be imposed in the world or in relationship, but everyone judges. Um, if you don't believe me, just listen when people say, I don't go to that church because Christians are blank, blankety blank. Right? as if they've met every Christian. Uh, but in their experience, they've had this experience and they've formed a judgment uh, on that. And that can be a challenge, especially a judgment around ethical issues. Right? What, what rights should there be? So at Christ Central, we prioritize care and uh, justice initiatives around education and housing and, and family advocacy. And it's not an exhaustive list, but we're trying to steward what we have and try to have a focus that we can be effective. Um, and if you, in your judgment, think that there should be more of a focus on homeless people, or there should be a m more of a focus on, on immigration, uh, that should be the main feature in your judgment. What do you do with that? Um, and for a lot of folks, it's non-negotiable. If you are not talking about these things, I don't want to be in fellowship with you. Right? That's, that's, that's judgment, and you certainly have the right to do that, uh, but that's, that's the challenge that you'll have to overcome. How do you align values and concerns? And the, Acts, and the church had to deal with that, right? Acts chapter 6, there was, there was a desire for caring for widows, but there was an agreement on what that mean, meant to care for widows, and, and thus deacons were born. All right, letter D, loneliness. Letter D, loneliness. This is a challenge for fellowship, uh, which might sound strange, because uh, you feel like that should be solved in fellowship. But the, the challenge is that when you are starving, you're not thinking about feeding other people. Right? So people are starving for a community. People are starving to be seen and be known. Kurt Thompson talks about how we are all looking for people that are looking for us. And so if, if that is your focus, when you come into a room, your, your thought is, who is looking for me? As opposed to, who should I be looking for? Right? And if you've got 50 people in a room that are incredibly lonely and waiting for someone to talk to them, it's, it's going to be hard uh, then, because uh, everyone's going to feel like they're not actually connecting, because this person didn't initiate with me. Uh, and, and it can be really hard to navigate that in, uh, in a church. I've heard the full gambit in terms of loneliness. You know, loneliness is a signal about belonging. Do I belong here? I feel quite lonely. And all kinds of demographics factor into that. So age, life stage, ethnicity, culture. Uh, if you are connected to Duke or UNC, all of that can feel very lonely. 
Um, and you come into space and wondering, does, does anybody see me? Does anybody care? And that's, that's a challenge. It's a challenge for fellowship. All right, letter E, consumerism. Consumerism. It's a challenge of fellowship, consumerism. Uh, and I want to be careful here because it's not wrong to choose fellowship with believers that align with, with values or concerns or, or focus. You know, for me, there are churches that I cannot be a part of because they, they have no value for cross-cultural mission. Um, and especially if you're a white church and you don't have any value or focus for reaching black people, I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of the church. Right? It's just a, a pragmatic thing because I don't feel welcome there. So not every church is made for every person. I get that. Um, and so when people come to our church and they're discerning whether or not to, to be a part, there's, there's a sense of like, uh, is my, are my values and concerns and convictions and so on and so forth uh, best represented here? Um, that being said, there is an outsized focus on that that is a danger, uh, consumerism. And there's lots of reasons for, for joining a church, leaving a church, but consumerism is, is a dangerous run because we, we treat church like a service provider, you know, Sam's Club or Planet Fitness. Now, I'm a member, I want my card, and I want my benefits. And there's this kind of me-focused sense. Uh, and the unique privilege of American Christianity is that you can choose your church based on your preferences, right? So I'm sure, I, you know, praise God, folks in this parking lot, uh, it's, it'll sanctify you coming into these, 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 trying to find a parking space on Sunday morning at times. Um, and you know, it's July, and I, I, wanna, I wanna believe you're gonna have air conditioning on Sunday. Um, I can't guarantee that you're gonna have air conditioning on Sunday, amen, I hope you're praying. Um, but that has been a thing, uh, where we have shown up on a Sunday, there was no AC, it was no heat. We don't own this building, uh, so people are like, well just, I hear you, I, I hear you. I know there's all these things, but it's not that simple. Um, but if <laughs> I've heard people say, uh, you might need to text me uh, Sunday morning to make sure the AC is working because I'm not coming. I get that. I get the concerns of that. Uh, but you know, if you're basing your membership off of that, there's some concerns, I think, um, and programming. But you do have, you have that ability. Um, for, for some of us, we drive by multiple churches to come to this one because there's something about values and personality and theology and conviction and community that makes it worth it, um, and it will be challenging. Um, and the worst expression of that is when there's only a me-focused commitment and a comfort-focused commitment, that you come, you walk into the doors of the church and say, what are you gonna do for me? And depending on how you answer that, I'm out, right? Uh, that's, that's the mindset of consumerism. Uh, letter F, compounded sin. Compounded sin. What do I mean by that? Um, if I compare my sin to the sin of all of y'all, I'm going to feel real good about myself. Right? Especially if I just keep watching y'all live lives and see how you talk to each other or don't talk to each other. Uh, it will be tempting for me to feel good because all I have to do is tally my sin. And for you, I'm tallying 150 cents. And it just, I just feel more righteous when I look at you, right? So compounded sin is this idea of like when you come together, it, it, it does actually display sin because we're a mess. We're people that need grace, people that need sanctification. Uh, don't get too close to me because you're going to see my need for grace. Um, and honestly, when we look at the broader culture, uh, when we see all these awful things that are happening uh, that are just beyond anything that some of us can even imagine that are happening in the church. And, you know, there's podcasts and documentaries being released, and it's just, it's just really haunting in a lot of ways and should be very sobering. Um, and that, that raises a concern about, do I want to be in fellowship with this? Like, this is a mess. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's a mess. Um, and uh, I would encourage you, as, as, we, as you read through Scripture, we wouldn't have a New Testament if there wasn't a bunch of messy people in church and in fellowship with one another. Galatians, some people were messy. Corinthians, Lord have mercy. They had stuff going on in there. Incest, like it was some stuff going on in the Corinthian church. Right. 
Uh, the Ephesians, like it's just, just racial slurs all over the place with the Ephesians. Like what is going on with that church, right? And so, and yet we wouldn't have much of a New Testament if there wasn't some sense of compounded sin that is both addressed and is also a challenge. Uh, I don't know if I want to be a part of compounded sin. All right? And yet, uh, what that arises is cynicism. Luke chapter 18 talks about this. The Pharisee and the tax collector, you know, the Pharisee looked at the tax collector in the temple and said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this sinner. I tithe multiple times. I do this, that, and the other. I think I'm not like that. Right? And the tax collector refused to lift his brow and say, forgive me that I'm a sinner. Right? Cynicism has an outsized focus on sin, right? where, where truth-telling outpaces repentance. Uh, well, I really feel critical about what's wrong with you, and for me, yeah, there's things wrong, but let's really focus over here. Um, and, and a lot of that is legitimate, especially when you're looking at leaders uh, who, who are supposed to exercise good spiritual oversight. Uh, and are falling uh, beneath the, the standard of care and love and grace. All right, so those are the challenges, some of the challenges. Not an exhaustive list, but is, is a list nonetheless. So uh, turn to each other at this table. So there's a question here. It says, where have you seen any of these challenges in your experience of fellowship? Have you seen any of these? Uh, if not, I, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you because you, you, you're going to bless my soul. Uh, so, so turn to your table and say, where, where have you experienced some of this? What's that been like for you? And we'll come back here in a few minutes. church had, had some, some challenges as well uh, in terms of being committed to the fellowship. But those challenges were not enough to not be committed. Um, they, they worked through them as messy as they, as they did. All right, so one more question here. Uh, I'm actually going to give you a, a minute or two to write. Uh, there's this quote by Edmund Clowney that basically said that a community, the community of God, the church, is the expression of the word in action, basically. If you want to get a sense of you know, what, what is the word and how does it look, uh, we should be able to look, look to the church. Um, and we might not be able to be a representation of God's word perfectly, but we can uh, truly uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to take a moment, again, this isn't an exhaustive conversation, this is a moment of fellowship, but I want to consider what, uh, what steps can you take to develop fellowship as a spiritual practice? A fellowship as a spiritual practice. And again, I, I'm aware that there's a danger of conflating with church membership on the four walls with fellowship. I do know that it's, it's more than that, but I don't think it's less than that. That this local expression of God's church is an aspect of the spiritual practice of, of fellowship uh, in terms of support and accountability and, and all the things. So what could that look like in your life? And maybe you're already doing that. Maybe it's already intuitive. I know in the last City Fellowship, Timothy walked us through rule of life, and there was an aspect there of relationship. And so you might already be working the plan. And that's good. Maybe you just write, rewrite it. Or maybe there's something that comes up for you that's something you want to try. Uh, you know, joining a, a city group or getting involved in volunteering or attending church regularly or attending church, period. 
Um, you know, what is something that uh, you can do to take one step closer in acknowledging that there is some kind of connection between your relational life and your spiritual life and you want to take that seriously? All right, so I'm going to give you a minute or two to just write one, maybe two things on your paper, and then I'm going to have you turn to your neighbor. So write first, and then I'll, I'll prompt you to, to, to share with, uh, with your table. brainstorming here. I anticipate there will be some uh, repeated answers. Linger at the Coffee and Connect. Maybe look for a newcomer on Sunday morning. Who knows? I'm intrigued to, to hear. Um, but I'll take a couple minutes uh, with your tables and share what's, what's one thing that maybe you could take a step in in terms of engaging the spiritual practice of fellowship. And we'll come back here in a couple minutes. together here and, and wrap up our time together. Hopefully there were some good ideas shared and um, just from a bias standpoint, I hope some of your ideas help be more connected here. Uh, I would love to fellowship with you. Um, you know, one thing I love about and am annoyed by the fruit of the spirit is that how interpersonal the fruit of the spirit are. Uh, like patience, you don't know how patient you are until you're in fellowship. Um, yeah, you, you don't know how gentle you are until you get into fellowship uh, a lot of times. And I do have this tangible, annoying sense of like, Lord, I got so much work to do. When I'm in fellowship with brothers and sisters who uh, the Holy Spirit is, is working deeply in. And so, um, I uh, resonate with those of you that are really leaning away uh, on, in this idea of fellowship. I know there's some, some of us here, and that leaning away is, is welcome here, uh, as, as long as you need to, to process through that. And my prayer is that you'll, um, you'll experience the, the nearness of Christ as you experience the nearness of his people. And I know that's not always guaranteed, uh, but... Lord willing, we will grow in that, and as a church, but certainly as a global church, and uh, I, I'm thankful that the, the end of the story is that we will be in perfect fellowship, where we won't have to wrestle with a lot of these things. So let me conclude with this, this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together. Uh, long quote here, but I just, just really loved it. It says, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. 
When things do not go his way, he calls, for, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. Because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, we enter into the common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for what he has done for us. We thank God for giving us brethren who live by his call, by his forgiveness, and his promise. And I just, I feel challenged by that, because um, uh, I do have an ideal sense of what community should be. And I often come into spaces and have my critical radar up of how are you checking the boxes that I have crafted on my own? How, how are you rising to the occasion that I have set for you even though I don't meet perfectly? And I do destroy genuine community uh, by my dream of community. And instead of having a thankful heart uh, that I can encounter the goodness of God in my brother or sister, I often come as a demander uh, and I diminish uh, the communion and the fellowship that I have. And I do feel like that's part of the spiritual practice. Uh, the spiritual practice of fellowship is gaining a sense of gratitude for being with one another as opposed to gaining a sense of bitterness. Um, and that's hard. That's more than a notion with people who are in need of God's grace. But Bonhoeffer was making this point in the era where World War II was happening in Nazi Germany, and it just made sense to him that it's so hard to pursue Christ out in the world. I should be eager to look for Christ in my brother and sister. It should be a no-brainer that I come and I actually look for and I'm grateful for that encounter. And I think that's a helpful invitation for us. Uh, how, how am I looking for Christ and the ones who claim Christ, even if they don't uh, live up to my ideals, or legitimately live up to the scripture, uh, and trust that, that uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, including myself, and uh, the need for grace is no respecter of persons. So I'm going to pray for us here, uh, the Lord would give us that heart, and let me just close by saying, people that know me know I like to eat. I like to eat. Lord, help me. Um, spiritual I don't self-control is something I need to grow on with food because I like it and when I was growing up we had a Sam's Club membership and I would love going to the Sam's Club and they would always have samples <laughs> hallelujah and this Sam's Club I can't speak for all Sam's Club but this Sam's Club the workers were very kind and they let me walk around the camp and get my make a meal and I'd walk around again if my mama didn't see me, and I would just love taking the samples. And here's what I understood when I took the sample. You know, they had the little display in the back, the little box or whatever, and say, you can have the fullness. Um, but I didn't want the fullness, I wanted the sample. Uh, just give me the sample. I don't want to cook nothing, I don't want to prepare nothing, just give me the sample. Um, and and I, I, I didn't make the connection that the purpose, of the, the reason why the samples were there is to cultivate a craving for something fuller and that the samples were actually designed to feel like there was a lack. There, there's something lack, this isn't actually supposed to be the full meal, but it is supposed to give you an accurate taste of what's to come if you're, if you're bought in. And, and I feel like that's the church. Like the, the church really is a sample of eternity. And when we really embrace that sample and enjoy it, amen, praise God, but there, it is actually right to feel like, oh, I'm longing for more here. I wish there was a fuller sense of this meal. That's actually really good. That's a prompt to actually look to Jesus and say, come quickly and bring the fullness of eternity now because I want to experience this truer and fuller and more perfectly. And so for those of us that know that longing, uh, that's, that's actually really important. And I'm, I'm praying that uh, that longing would not uh, make us bitter uh, and dismissive about the sample. That the sample is good, and it's designed to cultivate a longing for more. And by God's grace, we're headed to that fuller. Uh, and in the meantime, we continue to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And as long as he tarries, we keep that prayer before us. Amen? So let's pray for that now. Lord God, thank you.
that you have set eternity in our hearts. And as you have set eternity in our hearts, that you call a people to each other as much as you call them to yourself. And so, Lord, would you enable us to have hearts of gratitude that we get to encounter you as we encounter each other. And Lord, that does not take away from the need for sanctification, the need for justice, the need for grace. And Lord, help us to be able to look to that truly and see uh, that you are working even there. Lord, we can know something of our spirituality by how we are relating to your body. So Lord, give us eyes to see and draw us in. Draw us in that we might have warm affections for this divine reality that you have placed and set here on earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing. Speaking of samples, there are leftovers uh, for you. And so there are to-go boxes uh, on the table, and we don't want any of this food to stay here. Where's June? I'm just kidding. I always call June out in these situations because I can always count on him in this. But I need, a, I need, I need all y'all to, 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 to fellowship around these leftovers and take some food home uh, so we don't have to take care of it when y'all leave. All right. Y'all take care. August 2nd, the next fellowship is August 2nd.